Good evening, everyone. I'm broadcasting live April 29th, 2016. Today's quote is about giving up. It's about our inability to give up. It's from the Majjhima Nikaya, the Majjhima Nikaya number 66, the, the Pali, the Laktukki Gopamasutta, the simile of the quail. So the Buddha. Um, admonished the monks to eat once a day. And the story goes that some of the monks were not happy with that. They said, mm, we can't abide by that. And so the Buddha said, well, and then at least eat one, uh, one portion of food a day meaning go for alms, get your food, and eat some in the, in the morning and some for lunch, and, and that's it. And the monks said, uh, some monks said, mm, we can't abide by that either. And so the Buddha left. He said, I can't live with such monks. This sutta is sort of reflecting on that. Uh, Udai. Uh, Udai, right? Udain. Uh, he's, he comes to the Buddha and he admits that it was hard for him at first to accept the idea of eating only in the morning, only once. But uh, once he realized uh, the benefits, he was actually quite happy with it. And And so he comes and he appreciates, he says, let's look at the Pali. Bahunang watano bhagava dukkha dhammanang apahata. The Buddha has, the Buddha is one who has relinquished, has, has relieved us of many, many, uh, things that cause suffering. He has bahunang sukadhammanang upahata. He is one who brings us many dhammas uh, that, are, that bring happiness. Bahunang akusalanang dhammanang apahata. He is the bringer of, uh, he is the reliever, the, the remover of many dhammas that are unwholesome, and he is the uh, conveyor of many dhammas that are wholesome. So he, pre he thought to himself, and, and he came to see the Buddha, and he repeated this to the Buddha. He said, It, it occurred to me that. The Buddha has done so much for us. 
teaching us, even these small things, things that seem a trifle, things that seem somewhat irrelevant. Why should we have to give up eating? What's the difference between eating in the morning and the evening? What's the difference between eating throughout the day? If you've never undertaken the training, which they hadn't, it seems somewhat trivial, inconsequential, things like that. I remember when I was uh, back in the day, in Thailand a lot of monks, a lot of the rules have become quite lax and there are monks who, uh, well most monks will have soya milk in the evening. And it was things like that, um, you know, we wouldn't, most of us wouldn't eat in the evening, but a lot of monks, myself included, um, we'd get we'd get soya milk, uh, tetra packs, and alms round, sometimes five, ten of them. Um, and we'd keep them, and we'd drink them in the evening. And then I started reading the Vinaya and, and realized that this was against the rules, and I found it. Was, I remember how hard it was to give that up. I thought, oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. But I remember just this, this sutta brings that to mind because uh, I remember being with another monk and explaining to a new monk and explaining to him that it wasn't it wasn't according to the rules. And so in the evening we were sitting around thinking of. Uh, soya milk and trying to find something that we were allowed and so we had some tea at first but then we started to think well, you know tea is only allowed if it's a medicine and I remember give, these little things you know these little things that are so intrinsic to life like not eating in the evening it's just such a core part of our life that in fact when you do give it up you, it changes something it's one of those things that changes your life no, it's not, it sounds dramatic. It's not a dramatic change, but it does do something because it's so core, you know. These things that are so intrinsic a part of our lives, even they seem inconsequential. You give them up and suddenly, because they're so, so much a part of your daily routine, that they change a lot. Well, we, we, we think of change, sweeping changes like moving to another country or becoming a monk or something, when in fact it's really the little things. It's about how you live your life. It's about what you're doing in your day. You know? Just living your life differently. And so in many ways it's about shaving off these little things, about some gradual change. And that's what this sutta talks about. It talks about these little things. And so the simile of the quail is actually two similes. And so our quote, our quote is just a brief uh, snippet from the sutta. And there's, the, again, the Buddha does both sides. He says, some foolish people, when, when advised to give something small up, even small, they say, what is this small and insignificant matter? Why is he paying so much, putting so much stress on little things? And the Buddha says, for such a person, even that little thing becomes a real bond for them, a real fetter, strong, solid, and stout. 
because of their view, you know, because of their inability to see, their ignorance, inability to see the problem with it, when the claim is that there is a problem with it. And this is really common, you know, this is something that we face trying to teach Buddhism. I had an argument with someone in New York about uh, affection. I said, uh, I said I've met someone and I was, they were asking if I ever gave relationship advice and I said, mm, I don't really often give relationship advice. It's something I don't find myself doing. I was thinking about it and I said, well, sometimes I, I have people come to me and say, well, they, they, they have a hard time being affectionate. Uh, and and this person was was surprised and said, "Well, I would think meditation would make you more affectionate." And we argued about it. So when when I mean, thing, so many things when we talk about giving them up, talk about changing the way we live our lives. Uh, they're met with resistance and even outright rejection. It's hard for people to accept, and in fact, they, they will outright reject them. So they might want to practice meditation, but they'll reject the idea of, for example, giving up affection, uh, which you know actually is fine. There are many Buddhists who continue to be affectionate. I would say, though, that through the practice of meditation, I would argue you do become less affectionate, more peaceful, you know, more content and less uh, clingy and so on. This is an example. And so for that person, you know, th these things that are actually quite simple to give up, I mean small things as well, but especially like giving up eating in the, in the evening, they become very strong. And so he likens this to a, a, a rotten, a rotten vine. In the sutta, he says, "Suppose you have this rotten vine, and uh, there's a quail that's caught up in the vine. And suppose someone came up and said, oh, well, look at that rotten vine. That quail should have no problem getting up. For that quail, that's not a.'" a real fetter. The Buddha asked, would they be speaking rightly? And no, no, they would not be speaking rightly because of that quail, because of how weak that little quail is, the bird, uh, even that rotten vine, that rotten, dried up rotten creeper is, uh, is like iron. He said, in the same way, a monk who is weak, for a monk who is weak, these things, these silly things, you know, what turn out to be actually quite easy to give up and easy to live without. And, and actually the giving up and the, the doing without leads to peace and freedom from suffering, leads to happiness. But, but uh, for a weak person, they're very, they, the attachment makes it a strong bind, like steel. Like the Buddha said, leather and even iron and steel and chains these are not strong binds these are weak 
when you compare them to the bonds, the bonds of lust and, and desire and, and even aversion and delusion. Uh, these are the strong bind. Which is funny because they're actually not. They're actually quite easy to do without and easy. But if you're bond, bound to them, they're like, they're stronger than steel. But as soon as you look and, and examine and as soon as you're mindful, it's like they dissolve like a mirage. So they weren't, so they weren't even there. And so the, the Buddha said, then there's another person uh, who doesn't disparage me and criticize and grumble and complain when I tell. And he said, it's like an elephant, a great elephant. And the great elephant has a rotten creeper tied around its neck, gets caught up in this rotten creeper. If someone were to say, oh, that's a, that's a really strong bind, that elephant's going to be in trouble, would they be speaking rightly? No, they wouldn't. For an elephant, even the, the strongest bind is, is of little consequence, let alone a rotten one. So much is just a matter of how we, uh, our state of mind, right? Do we want to be free? Are we actually seeking to be free? We say we want to be happy. Are we actually working to become happy? Or are we just sitting around waiting for happiness to come to us? Are we working? Uh, are, we, are we doing what it takes to strengthen our minds? To create the strength and the, the presence and the mindfulness to be happy? Or are we just sucking dry the, the bare bones or the bare remains of whatever happiness we have, whatever pleasure we can find, like a dog gnawing at a bloody bone, never satisfied? Okay. So that's the quote this evening. A little bit of Dhamma for, for us all. And we have some chatter in the chat box. Whoa. How much longer do we have to be able to donate to the robe fund? It's a good question. Um, I would say, I don't know. I have to ask Robin. Robin's here. Robin's like God for us. She does. She, she dictates so much. We have to all praise Robin and thank her. We have to garawa. We have to. And I appreciate her importance because she does a lot for us.
we do have to well you know ordering the robes isn't a big deal in fact you know probably we could fudge it uh, although you know yeah the money has to probably go to Thailand at some point so <laughs> we're atheists so we can think of each other as God you know the Buddha said like parents are your God parents are gods for their children that kind of thing but uh, Robin has much in common with God for many of us me included I don't know if that's weird to say, but it's pretty weird. But uh, I just mean in terms of uh, someone who does so much for us. It's quite helpful, supportive. Um, yeah, so probably before the order gets placed, whenever that is. Um, but there also has to be a money transfer to Thailand, I think. So maybe even before that. The money transfer doesn't take long, right? No, I guess the order can be placed before she has the money, I think. I don't know. Anyway, Robin, you know more about this, I think, than me. We're in contact. We got a really good person in Thailand as well. She's kind of like our Thai goddess. She's our god in Thailand. God because we depend upon her. So as far as Thailand goes, she is Thailand. When we need something done in Thailand, Sutanya in Bangkok, she takes care of everything. Hey, we got 37 people watching. That's great. You know, to, to do this every day and have so many people still tuning in. I've seen a spike. I just looked now for the first time in a while at YouTube analytics. It's got this graph of views and it's really gone up in the past, I don't know, the past recently, whatever that is. Um, but also I've seen some fairly negative comments, which is... Uh, you know, the internet, I guess, is like that. You're always going to have to be fairly thick-skinned because you get the great comments, right? People telling you you've changed their lives and you're so great and I appreciate so much. And then you get people who oh, the opposite. So, which uh, is a shame, really. But, but that's the world. You know, it's actually kind of, kind of um, informative. It reminds us that the world has both good and evil. For those who despair, they, they there's no reason to despair because there's so many good things in the world. Um, but at the same time, we have this reminder mm, that the world has these negative aspects to it. There's this um, there's this phenomenon where uh, when you post something on the internet, you could get a hundred positive comments or a thousand positive comments but if you get one negative comment you forget about all the positive ones they get a thousand you're like oh that's nice but as soon as you get one negative like the internet hates me 
the internet's a fairly good um, if you look at it objectively it's a fairly good measure of humanity it's an incredible thing not the internet what a world we live in anyway the questions no questions What is Simon getting an error? No. Get an error on the link. Huh. Oh, you missed something, I think. Yeah, there's a dot. That period on the end doesn't work. You put a period on the end of the link and my our, our site picks it up as a, as a part of the link. So just delete the period on the end or copy and paste link without the period uh, circular yeah the Paditya Samupada is an interesting um, interesting study and this is where a lot of people argue um, there's there's argument about this so some people look at that what that means is that in this life you've got the body and the mind name and form is a really bad translation nama rupa rupa is is physical nama is mental so the mental and the physical create consciousness uh, the, you know, the nama rupa is one thing it's the body mind complex that creates consciousness so the nama would be um, well the nama would be the mind and the rupa is like the seeing uh, there the sorry the eye the light and the eye when these come together there's a consciousness there's an experience of consciousness but that consciousness uh, then gives rise to nama rupa uh, and so it goes so the consciousness is what is aware of the physical and the mental so when you're aware you're aware of the the seeing so it, it goes uh, moment to moment and that's in this life that um, explanation of Paticca Samupada is the one life explanation so many people believe that's the correct interpretation but it's not the only explanation um, if in other places the Buddha says it goes backwards you know uh, vinyana pachaya nama rupa but, but vinyana comes from which is consciousness consciousness comes from sankhara and sankharas are well they're also nama rupa but they're in the past uh, they're the good and bad deeds that we've done is up until the moment of death in a past life where we're born again so people talk about this past life the three life version of Paticca Samapada. But the Nama Rupa Pachaya Vinyana Vinyana Pachaya Nama Rupa, that's circular indeed because at every moment it's happening in a cycle. The, the sequence occurs again and again and again. I mean, and again, Nama Rupa Pachaya Vinyana is, is just a gross simplification of what's actually happening. If you want the orthodox understanding of what's really happening, you should learn Abhidhamma, read Bhikkhu Bodhi's um, 
comprehensive you know, translation and, and explanation on uh, the Abhidhamata Sangaha, the uh, comprehensive manual of Abhidhamma. I really want to adopt Buddhism, but coming from a very Catholic family, I'm pretty worried. Do you have any advice? Um, read my booklet. Uh, the booklet should be at the top. Is it linked at the top still? Yes. At the top of this page, there's a there's the words near the top of the page. It says this booklet. Go there. Read that. If you want, I can send you a copy. I can send a copy, right? If you send me your mailing address. Um, and then start to learn how to be mindful of worry. So Buddhism is all about seeing things as they are. If you worry, then focus on the worry and say worried, worried. You'd actually meditate on the worry. You know, so then, and then things like, because when you're meditating, things like Buddhist and Catholic, they don't exist. So there's, you know, you're able to free yourself from worry, which is really the Buddhist practice. But definitely realize, uh, read my booklet if you can. It feels sounds kind of weird saying that, I, like I'm self-promoting, but I don't think the book is, you know, incredibly well written or anything. It's just uh, trying to put in 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 text a lot of the things that I was taught and and learned and heard over and over again. And I thought, wow, this should just go in a book. They have books in Thailand. In, about, in Thai about this, but something that uh, I think it's a, it's a good order the way it's written down. It's actually quite backwards. The last chapter in the book talks about sila, morality, right? Which is the first thing, but uh, it doesn't have to be. And when you're talking to someone who's new to Buddhism, new to meditation, it doesn't need to be the first thing. You know, they're interested in meditation, so you teach them meditation and the details come later about what you have to do to sustain your meditation. So we work from inside out trying to explain to people. Because if you start with too big of a, they, too many details, they have a hard time finding the core and, and seeing the bigger picture. But if you start, what is the core, then everything else builds on that. And, and morality at the outside uh, can be the last thing you teach. Otherwise, people get turned off. They don't understand why morality, why 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 pre, why precepts, why the focus on all these rules. He realized destroyed his birth, etc. How would someone know his birth is destroyed when you know you didn't choose to be born? Why can't you be forced to be born again, just like this time? Uh, well, the Buddha knew. The Buddha, the Buddha is said to have had profound understanding uh, of of really everything. So there's no question. You know, it's it's not. It's kind of whether you believe that the Buddha actually had that kind of knowledge, um, which is which is. I know it's a bit of a cop out for me to say that, but his his knowledge was just so profound. But I don't think that's um, necessary because an arahant, 
which is someone who becomes enlightened following the Buddha, also knows, uh, destroyed his birth, kina uh, jati, destroyed his birth, because they're not giving, they, 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 they have freed themselves and they're clear in their mind that they've freed themselves from all desire, all attachment. And without any attachment, this is what you see in the meditation. You're learning uh, the nature of reality. And what you're seeing is how things work. Once you see how things work, there's no doubt in your mind uh, of where your, your mind rests in that. And that when your mind is completely freed from ignorance and delusion, and thereby greed and anger, uh, that you should ever be born again. There's no doubt that you, you know, that this could ever happen. It's something we can't fathom because we're not there yet. If you're not there, you haven't experienced this for yourself. You experience that clarity. It's still you still have this. The mind is a mystery, right? But but the claim being made is that the mind uh, need not stay a mystery, that you can unravel the mysteries of the mind, the mysteries of reality. You can come to an understanding of reality that is uh, complete. So there's no being forced to be born again. You, you yourself give rise to birth because of desire in a in a word i want to jump into buddhism where is a good place to start so read my booklet that's uh, the first um, if you read anything by mahasi sayadaw that's great um, and then come and do a course. We have online courses here, so you can do a meditation course with me online. We meet once a week, and you do an hour at least of meditation a day. I don't know, I guess I'm kind of skirting it, because probably the answer you want is what books should I read, what text should I read. So on that side, you know, don't do any of that without meditating. And I would argue, you know, because he came to me, I came to us, meditate the way we meditate. So meditate this way, according to this booklet, put aside any other meditation you've practiced. And then, while you're doing that, throughout your life, start to read the teachings of the Buddha, start to read the what we call the Tipitaka. You can read the, the translations by Bhikkhu Bodhi. Uh, they're very good translations from Wisdom Publications of the middle-length discourses and the long discourses. Uh, those two are really good. And then there's there's two more. There's the connected discourses and the um, numerical discourses, which are significantly larger and, and, and more diverse. How do we change our bad habits without forcing ourselves or repressing? We see them clearly. Once you see that they're bad habits, you'll give them up naturally. So if you haven't read my booklet, I encourage you to do that. If you have, start meditating. And you'll start to see your bad habits more clearly. 
want to see them clearly, they'll change. And again, it's like this quote today. It's piece by piece, layer by layer, bit by bit. It's gradual. It's not you go to do a course and suddenly poof, you're free, or whoops, I just lost all my desires. You slowly change. You start to see things clear. Hmm. Well, Al, I'm, I'm happy to help. That's interesting. As you're reading, if you have questions, feel free to post them here. Try to be here every night, most nights. Yeah, and we got a good group here. People helpfully posting links and stuff. So this is really a great little site. I mean, it's it's ugly, I know, but uh, if if I can coordinate, maybe next month we can start working on transferring this to a more uh, proper system, proper. Uh, what do you call proper framework so that this website will be more professional because we have someone really working on it and he's kind of put it on hold but he's still in the wings waiting to help how can meditation be used to free oneself from guilt well ultimately because you stop doing things that make you feel guilty but also because you learn to be more objective, you learn to be more uh, understanding you know, and, and less judgmental because guilt ultimately comes from judgment, right? You judge yourself and self-judgment and you become to be more accepting, more not accepting, but more... Um, What's the word? Not accepting, but what was the word I just used? Um, to be uh, more objective anyway. Mm. Less judgmental. Uh, because you see that judgment is, is cause of suffering, right? And you see that you, it's not really you that's doing this. These are just habits. They're like echoes, echoes of bad karma. Bad things you've done in the past have created these echoes and these ripples and rever reverberation. That these uh, waves that have that come into the future have, have spilled over into the present, and so you you become more tolerant. That's the word, and you learn to tolerate your your bad habits and your bad. I mean, maybe that it's 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 difficult because it's not like you come to say, "Oh, well, that's just who I am." No, uh, you you stop reacting, and you you stop getting caught up in your bad habits, and as a result, they become weaker, and you stop feeding them, feeding them either by saying, "Yes, these are good," or by saying, "No, these are bad. I'm such a bad person." You know, getting angry, getting upset, as you just watch them with dispassion. And watch them objectively they start to shrivel up and die because they have no fuel we got a bunch of questions tonight when is the weekly meditation meet there's no weekly meditation meet um, there's slots if you click on meet up at the top of the page you'll see we've got slots and some people have taken slots and read through the directions there we meet using video conference online um, yeah. 
An enlightened person may not experience mental suffering anymore, but still experiences physical suffering. It still hurts, no? Uh, you know, you really should practice meditation in this tradition uh, because it would probably answer a lot of these questions, well, some of these questions for you. That's why I, I strongly suggest that if you're reading the Buddha's teaching, you should also be meditating. Don't go out and read all those books until you've started on a meditation practice because they're supposed to be meditation teachings. Um, you know, physical suffering is technically suffering, but... Um, it's only unpleasant if it's if it's if you you find it so if you get displeased by it but yeah physical suffering is inevitable as long as you have a body uh, for anyone practicing meditation in a busy college lifestyle uh, well, start with 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. Anyone can do that. Do it in between studying. Study some, then do sitting meditation or walking meditation. That's what I do. That's what I used to do when I was first starting out. Um, you know, and when you have break, you know, when you have a break, not you have summer break or winter break or fall break or whatever break. Uh, do some meditation then, and then you you know, ramp it up a bit. But do some every day. There's no excuse. We have 24 hours in the day. Anyone can do 20 minutes, and then if you do 20, ramp it up to 30. Uh, to do a course, we want you to do an hour a day. So that's the challenge. Can you do a half an hour in the morning, a half an hour in the evening? If you can, then you can do a meditation course. It's a start. By the end of uh, um, by the end of the course, we try to have you up to two hours a day. So, just to, if you're interested in that, the Buddha's teaching on prosperity by Bhikkhu Basna Rahula. No, never heard of him. His translations seem rare. Are you sure that's the right word? For a translation to be rare, it means it's hard to find. Either that or the implication could be that it's not like other translations. Unique is maybe the word. Huh. The robes just keep going up, right? We... Uh, This is we're up to two thousand five hundred dollars for robes, which is how many robes? It's about twenty. Uh, twenty sets. Well, last year or the year before. Year before. Uh, we we raised. We got over a hundred, right? No, not a hundred. 100 times 100? Yeah. Got over 100. And someone was saying, you know, he probably has a, a Jantong probably has a warehouse full of robes. He may, but um, 
you've ever seen pictures of these ceremonies, like on his birthday every year, he gives out uh, how many sets? It must be over a thousand sets of robes. And just like it'll be a thousand, maybe not a thousand, but hundreds, probably a thousand sets of robes and, and gifts, you know, just big extravagant gifts on his birthday. It's a huge giving affair. You know, like Ananda got 500 robes from the king. The king gave 500 robes sets to one of his, his people and said, go and distribute these to the monks. And the guy was, I think, lazy, so he just went and gave them all to Ananda. I think he really appreciated Ananda, so he just gave them all to Ananda. And the king found out about this, and he was really upset. He went to Ananda and said, what, what kind of a monk are you that you accept 500 sets of robes? How in the world could you possibly use those? And he said, well, I gave them all to other monks, monks whose robes were... Uh, Monks whose robes were were tattered, well, we you know we gave we give them out to them. He said, "Well, what would they do with their old robes?" He said, "Well, they cut them up and they try to make them into the lower robe, which is smaller." And they said, well, "What do they do with their old lower robes?" Oh, they turn them into bathing cloths. And what do they do with their old bathing cloths? And they, and they use them for this until finally they break up little patches into into uh, well, into thread, and then they use that thread to sew their robes. Well, what do they do with their old rope, their old thread? They mix it in with clay and they make bricks out of it to build the kutis. They won't go to waste, I guarantee. Giving robes to someone like Ajahn Tong is, there's no going to waste. He won't wear uh, maybe any of them, but they won't go to waste. It's a great way to support him and, and his uh, teachings. He has hundreds of centers around Thailand. Yeah, I mean, not hundreds. I don't, he has lots of centers around Thailand that uh, he supports. And monks by the hundreds, at least. Hmm. He was involved in the Iraq war, became a drug addict, meditating for many years, tapering off the pain medication. Meditation even helped me in the war. Sometimes the pain of the full body withdrawal is agonizing. No, I shouldn't beat myself up over this. Any advice or anecdotes? Feel like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it probably is a very valuable experience. Um... You know, it's it's not about succeeding, which is probably something you're aware of. You're you're not going to win, and and you're going to fail more than you win. But failure doesn't. Failure is just a failure to to break out of it. You know, that can happen again and again. Um, you don't have to concern yourself so much with that. You know, like when you scream or when the the pain is overwhelming, and and you go back to the drugs or something. You just have to chip away at it. You have to set your mind in the right direction. It's like this quote, these things are only only strong bind. The, the real strong bind is the view and the opinion. Is where is your mind, where is your mind state? 
your mindset. Is your mind set on freeing yourself or is it set on, on uh, reacting? Set on clinging? And, and, and so it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to be able to meditate like a Buddha or something. Meditation is a lot like a war zone. I've said this many times. It's, you can have all the theory in the world and all the training in the world, but when you get to the war zone, it's a war zone, you know? It's, there, all the rules go out the window, or many rules, you know? You have to improvise. Meditation is like that. You sit there, and all the theory is, is fine, but, but my mind is something totally different, you know? The mind is real. And so then you really have to then you have to have to actualize it. And so it's going to be messed up. It's not going to be clear cut. It's not going to be easy. If you've read my booklet, please, please, uh, well, if you haven't read my booklet, please do. Uh, and, and use that technique. You know, if you have pain, just say to yourself, pain. Remind yourself, this is pain, that's all it is. It's not bad, it's not a problem. And teach yourself that. And over time, it really can help. Pain is a great teacher. There are monks who, there was this monk who broke his legs. He was, he was going to be killed, and these guys wanted to kill him because they had been hired to get rid of him for an inheritance, because he was the heir to all this money. So they wanted to kill him. And he said, oh, no, come back. He said, look, I'm not done meditating. Come back in the morning. You can kill me then. And they refused. They said, yeah, right, you'll run away. And so he picked up a rock, and he broke both of his legs. And he said, he said uh, there, does that reassure you that I won't run? So they, they left him alone for the night, and he meditated on the pain and became an arahant, meditating on the excruciating pain. Um, the Buddha practiced many meditations, even holding his breath. The holding his breath was wrong meditation. And the difference between us and the Buddha is we don't have to do all the wrong ways because we have the Buddha to teach us the right way. Tips for increasing the quality of meditation along with length. Yeah, concentrating. Well, see, what we're trying to see in meditation is impermanent suffering and non-self. We're trying to see that we can't control things. And so that part of it is going to be let, letting go. And as you start to let go and loosen up, you find that, uh, ironically or paradoxically, it, it becomes easier to concentrate. It comes natural. You trying to force yourself to concentrate is antithetical to your purpose because it's ignorant. It's ignorant of the fact that you're seeing that you can't do it. You, you can't increase the quality of meditation. You have to stop uh, trying in a sense and just start seeing. And as you see, things will, will, will improve naturally. With what kind of mind or thoughts should we donate? 
there's lots of different minds with which you can donate. Um, the best one is to think that it will support you in your practice. Ultimately, in the condensed version, the Buddha gives several uh, examples of people. Some people give because they, they, other people give, and they say, well, wise people think this is a good thing. Wise people say giving is good. But the best reason, you know, some people give thinking this will be a support in my future life. I'll be, I'll be born in heaven as a result of this, that kind of thing. I'll be rich because I'm giving, you know. Some people give to others thinking they'll get it get in return. This person will like me, that kind of thing. But the best is thinking this will be a support for the mind. This will make make it easier to uh, progress spiritually. So we give with that idea. We give we give that this makes me a better person, kind of thing, and not quite like that. This giving improves, or and giving is a support for the path. That's the best. That's the purest. Okay, if that's all, I'm going to say good night. Thank you all. That was a lot of good questions. What is it? It's Friday, is it? Because it's Friday night, there's so many people, so many questions. Maybe it's picking up. If you have more questions, come on back tomorrow. I'll be here, should be here, same time, same place. Have a good night, everyone.